Some texts of scripture that are just so, uh, such a joy to be able to read together. And this is one of them. It is just packed with truths about the character of God. And we're going to get into it this morning. Would you pray with me as we begin our time together? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you are the one who is the good shepherd. And those words spoken to disciples thousands of years ago, you want to speak to us today. Lord, help us to know what that means. Help us to know who you are. Help us to live as sheep. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I had the opportunity this past week to spend some time at a conference sponsored by InterVarsity Christian Fellowship called Urbana. It's been going on for decades, actually. I remember as a college student, I went to it for the first time. And how transformational it was for me to learn about God's mission and God's heart for the world. And to see new generations of young people gathered together. There were some 16,000 students, almost primarily students, that were gathered together in St. Louis um, to hear what God was doing around the world and to wrestle with that. And in the course of the conference on missions, over 600 young people gave their lives to Christ. It's so interesting how we can be missional without devotion to Jesus Christ. And the one must precede the other. And uh, there were over 600 students that absolutely gave their life to the Lord Jesus Christ for the first time in their life. And they stood up and began their walk as those devoted to the Lord. And over 4,000 um, young men and women uh, said, I am going to commit my life, at least two years of my life, to missions, to global mission, uh, going places in the world where uh, there are opportunities for me to use my gifts to do it, uh, to serve. And that was just breathtaking, actually, to see that. And uh, there was a Harvard grad who gave his testimony of, Having been on the other side of that, remember standing at the Urbana conference, and, and uh, he went home compelled to go to a remote area of Asia. He's a Harvard grad, and everybody said to him, you're wasting your life. And uh, he wouldn't trade the choice he made for anything. Stories of people around the world, Christians who are experiencing persecution, torture, death, even in the... Um, media today we're hearing stories of that but this calling on us as followers of Jesus to pray for those who persecute us and to bless them in stories of people who in the midst of being beaten within a hair of their life asked how they could pray for the people that were beating them just really remarkable stories of what it meant to be just like a Jesus and over 16,000, almost entirely students, were invited to give towards causes and issues all around the world. And the offering was a million dollars. 16,000 students sent a million dollars around the world. You know, it was just so, it was so encouraging to drive away from that and, and realize, even in light of the text in front of us this morning, these young men and women are making a choice to engage in a life that is characterized by abundance. There's a fullness in a life like that. 
that can't be denied when you hear stories like that. And so when we go to this text this morning, in the midst of this series this month, we're going to talk about what does it mean for us to live a life that is a life of abundance, characterized by a life of generosity, displayed in a number of ways by those students and those people who've gone all over the world and are praying for people who are persecuting them. In so many ways, there's a generosity of their whole life. And so we're going to talk about that for these next four weeks, actually, and talk about generosity in terms that perhaps you haven't even thought about before. But this morning, I want us to start, before we talk about what does it mean for us to live a life of generosity, I want to talk about the reality that we worship a God who is a God of generosity. That's where it starts, isn't it? It always starts there. What is God like? And we see that God is a God of generosity. We see it right here in the text. Jesus uses this comparison between a person who is a hired hand and a shepherd. The shepherd has a relationship with those sheep that transcends anything that a hired hand would ever have. And so Jesus describes the shepherd, it makes sense, that the shepherd would give his life for the sheep. Completely different than a hired hand. So one, one can understand from the, from the very beginning that when Jesus is talking about God as a shepherd, Jesus is letting us know that God will give his life for the sheep. And then those of us who recognize the foreshadowing would say, yes, and he did. It's precisely what Jesus did when he died on the cross. He gave his life so that we might experience not just life, but an abundant life, a life that is full. There are three things I want to remind you of this morning, and then a couple of points of application. The first is this. When the Lord decides to give, it's always enough. When the Lord decides to give, no one wonders whether it will be enough. It never happens. When God pours out his blessing, there's nobody on the side saying, I wonder if there's going to be enough of it. It was true as Israel was wandering in the wilderness. There was water that gushed from the rock. And the psalmist tells us in Psalm 68, he split the rocks in the wilderness and gave them water as abundant as the seas. You've got hundreds of thousands, uh, perhaps a million people in the wilderness wandering, and water comes out of a rock, and when people see it, they say, there will be enough for me. When God decides to give, no one wonders, is there going to be enough? He is a God who is a God of infinite generosity. In fact, in that same Psalm 78, it talks about God's people and what happened then. It was just this sense that they said, they were wondering whether God would provide enough. And in Psalm 78, verse 20, it says this. They said, true, he struck the rock, and water gushed out, streams flowed abundantly, but can he give us bread? Can he supply meat for his people? Can, can he really give enough? I know he did that, but will he do this? And God did that to such a magnitude that they were they got sick on the meat in the wilderness that God provided for them. God wants his people to know this. When I decide to give, there will always be enough. 
In fact, there will be more than enough because I am a God of generosity and provision. We go all the way to the New Testament and we see it over again when the disciples collect five loaves of bread. I mean, teeny tiny loaves of bread and a couple of fish. Uh, And there were baskets and baskets of food left over. You see, this is what we know about Jesus. When he decides to give, there is always enough. In fact, the stories are stories of there being more than enough. Because he's generous and because he has it to give. I remember hearing as a little kid, and maybe it was, I think it was a song we used to sing, you know, he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. My folks remind me of that. You know what? You don't have to worry. God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. It comes right out of Psalm 50, actually. It says this, it says, For every animal of the forest is mine, and the cattle on a thousand hills. And then in verse 12 it says this, If I were hungry, I would not tell you, I would not need to tell you, for the world is mine and all that's in it. <laughs> you, you think I'm going to run out of resources? There's not a chance. There is not a chance in the world that I will run out of the resources necessary for you to be able to say, I have everything that I need. There's not a chance in the world in view of who God is. We view God, here's the irony, we view God as needing things from us. When we start talking about money, well, how much is he going to want? And and, and what does he need? We, we have this distorted notion of God that actually comes from, from religious viewpoints that are completely unbiblical. God never needs anything from us. His glory doesn't depend on our assistance. This is a pagan view. Greek mythology, by the way, go back to, many of you know Greek mythology, go back to it and the gods need the people to provide what the gods need in order to have their glory or have what they need or be fed or whatever it is in that particular myth. And it's not just an ancient understanding, it's an understanding of religion all over, it's an understanding of many Christians who walk into their walk of life and, and they're taught or, or, or it's communicated, God's going to need you. Oh, it's a good thing that you came to faith because Christ is going to need you. Or, whoa, that person's got resources, it's a good thing, God's going to need it. We get this, this distorted, truncated notion of what God is like. And here's the truth that we need to recognize. God needs nothing. Can you say that with me? God needs nothing. Everything must be filtered through that truth. Everything I think about God must be filtered through that. He doesn't need anything. So then we ask the question, well, then why does he expect us to give, right? And why does he withhold favor to us if we're not, if we don't give? I mean, what's that all about? Okay, we'll get to that. But first of all, we need to recognize this. God needs nothing. And he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Everything is his. So what's this whole thing about? It can't be about him depending on me to be his means of accomplishing what he wants to do. It can't be about that. So it must be about something else. That comes to the second reminder that I want, I want us to be aware of. The Lord gives to us because he wants us to live abundant lives. 
God gives because he wants his children to live abundant lives. That's, that's what he says right there in John 10, 10, that our lives will be characterized by abundance. I have come, he says, that you might have life and that you might have it to the full, richly, abundant. The word abundant is a better word, actually, than full because it, 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 it encompasses so much more. In the dictionary, the word abundant means to present in great quantity, more than adequate, oversufficient, well supplied with something, abounding, richly surprised with resources. That's what God wants to be true of the life of every single one of his children. To have a, a, an abundant, oversufficient life. And he has enough that that can be true for his children. What does that abundance look like? Well, when we go through God's word, we see a number of those pieces of it. And one of them is referenced here actually in John chapter 10 where it talks about God, the shepherd, who gives his life. Paul goes back to that in Romans chapter 9, and the word abundant, I'm Romans chapter 5, and the word abundant is used actually in verse 15 where we read these words. How much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through one man, Jesus Christ? God, you wonder if your sin is too big and God doesn't have enough forgiveness in him to welcome you back home? Have you forgotten how rich he is, how much he has of that grace and that mercy? Have you wondered if because of the choices you've made in your life, there's no way in which your life could be described ever again as righteous? Do you think God's out of resources for you to have a life of righteousness? Do you think he's hit a roadblock? And he can't possibly do it in your life or in the life of that person that matters to you. Maybe you've got hope for you. Maybe you don't have hope for your friend or your child or your mom or your dad. Do you think he's out of resources really? He gives his life and it's everything we need. That's how generous he is. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. And we read this, and God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all you need, you will abound in every good work. Do you think you're out of time? Do you think you've aged out? All times, all things, all that you need. What happens in my life, what doesn't happen in my life, won't be because God doesn't have enough and because he's not generous. It's going to be for some other reason if it happens. Over and over again. And it's not just even in terms of forgiveness and spiritual relationship with God. It's in terms of just basic provisions for life. Psalm 65, you care for the land and you water it. You enrich it abundantly. The streams of God are filled with water to provide the people with corn, for so you have ordained it. This is God, Jeremiah 33. God wants to let us enjoy abundant peace and security. 
This is his longing for us. I'm reading in, the, in, uh, in my Bible reading for uh, this year, I'm in passages in the Psalms, among other things, and I hear over and over again God's desire to be able to bless our lives. Come and hear all you that fear the Lord. Let me tell you what he has done for me, the psalmist says. For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those whose walk is blameless. The Lord is gracious and righteous. Our God is full of compassion. The Lord, per- the Lord protects. The Lord saves. Psalm 66, Psalm 84, Psalm 116. You see, this is what we must recognize is that the Lord gives to us because he wants us to live a life that is characterized by abundance. And any scarcity mentality we have is the result of a distorted notion of the character of God. Here's the second truth. God wants me, God wants you to have an abundant life. Can you say that? God wants me to have an abundant life. Say it. God wants me to have an abundant life. Everything must be filtered through that truth. A couple of questions, perhaps, that are part of our personal reflection. You may say, then why is my life filled with such scarcity? The most precious possession that we can have, God's word said, the pearl of great price, the treasure in the field, the we have this treasure in jars of clay to show the all-surpassing powers from God. The most precious treasure we can have is Christ himself and a relationship with him. That's it. And you hear the amens because there are people that have recognized that to be true. It is true. He is an absolute treasure to us. And so right from the very beginning, we start with the abundant one living in our lives if we make that decision to bring him in, invite him in. The most essential element is trust and connection with him. God doesn't want to fill my life with scarcity. He wants to fill my life with himself and the treasure that he is. So what then does that mean in regards to all the resources around me? Well, another part of my reading has been in Chronicles just in the last few days. And it's just kind of actually amazing to hear some of the, breathtaking to hear some of the things that happens in there. You know the story of Solomon. In fact, in, 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 in 2 Chronicles chapter 9, Solomon is described as greater in riches than all the other kings of the earth. And you can go on the internet and don't do it now. I know you can. Because <laughs> it is kind of interesting, actually. How do you calculate the wealth of Solomon? if he was the richest man in all the world, the world's richest people, because you find Solomon's listed in there. You know, who knows what gold is worth when, right? Um, But if you calculate it, I think they were calculating it on one of the sites I visited at $1,500. I don't think it's there anymore. But um, uh, if it were calculated at that, they said Solomon's net worth was probably around $2.1 trillion dollars that he was taking in $1.1 billion a year just in gifts given to him from other nations. (laughs) I mean, there's a government that's not in trouble, right? $2.1 trillion in 2 Chronicles chapter 9. Do you know what happens three short chapters later? Poof. It's gone. 
And I'm reading of these transfers of wealth as you go through what happens from that point on, $2.1 trillion, and then it's just gone, and it's accumulated, and it's gone, and it's gone. And I'm just wondering, God, don't you care? I mean, you just lost $2.1 trillion. Why did you do that? And you know the reason why Solomon and the people lost $2.1 trillion? Because they weren't rich enough. They weren't rich enough. Gold everywhere. Silver actually wasn't even counted because it was considered worthless in regards to the other treasures that were. And in the midst of all of that, God said, you are not rich enough yet. No wealth comes from a relationship with me that's actually a legit, devoted relationship of worship. That's where genuine wealth is. So how does God use wealth? He uses it any way he can so that our hearts would be directed in the, in, in, in the way they were meant to be when we were made in our mother's womb. To the living God. Gold? Well, it's just a tool. It's just a tool. Job said, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away Blessed be the name of the Lord. Now, he says that at a really vulnerable moment, but it is so absolutely profound. In fact, the Lord takes away, and you get to the end of the book of Job's, and he's, given, he's giving even more back again. The Lord gives. Blessed be the name of the Lord. That's why he gives. So we might say, blessed be the name of the Lord. The Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. That's why he takes away, so that we might be made more rich. So that we might be characterized by this, this truth that's in the core of our hearts and our minds. Blessed be the name of the Lord. So I ask the question, why is my life filled with scarcity? It doesn't have to be. But the riches won't be found in the places everybody else automatically and easily looks for it. The second question for examination here is, does that mean that if I'm characterized by more trust and dependency in God, I will have more stuff? There are organizations that are built on that one. Will I have more stuff? And that brings us to the third thing that we need to be reminded of this morning. Abundance will never be measured by terms of one's belongings. An abundant life and one's belongings, there is no way that those things go hand in hand. They do not go hand in hand. An abundant life and one's belonging. I want to personalize this a little bit more. The things that you own do not determine the abundance of your life. It's true. The things that you own do not determine the abundance of your life. That sounds like crazy talk, doesn't it? Yet this is exactly what God tells us is true. We are sheep, right? John 10, we are sheep. Guess what? Sheep don't have belongings. They have possessions. 
Sheep possess something, but sheep do not have belongings. And that's where we get it mixed up. There's a difference between having possessions and having belongings. Sheep don't have belongings. Well, they've got a valuable resource. And shepherds care for them and provide for them because they possess something that they can, that actually can be used to benefit others. But it doesn't belong to them in the way we use that word. The thing in our possession is a possession, not a belonging. The moment I treat anything in my hand as a belonging, I am on dangerous ground. And here's the irony. I think it makes me feel secure. I think it makes me feel secure. Here's the third truth. The primary purpose of possessions is not security. God is our security. He is our hope. He is our joy. He is our strength. He is our everything. The primary purpose of possessions is not security. Everything must be filtered through this truth. Two points of application that I'm going to encourage you to wrestle with over the next couple of days. The first is this. When will I place my life in Christ's hands? That's just something we say, but when we're talking about the possessions of our life, will I actually place me in his hand? The decision to pursue the abundant life offered by Christ. John 10, verse 10. I am the good shepherd. I have come, I have come, Jesus says to me, Mark, that you might have life and have it to the full. Do you want it? I have come, Jesus says to you, I've come that you might have life and have it to the full. Do you want it? Do you want me to give that to you? I have come that you might have life and you might have it to the full. Do you want it? I have come that you might have life and you might have it to the full. Do you want it? Yeah. Will I make that choice? What does it mean? The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. I lack nothing. That's the first question. Will I place my life in Christ's hands? And then I just listen. But there's a second aspect of it this morning, and it is this. What do I have in my hand? What are my possessions? God asked Moses, when he was calling him to serve him, he said, Moses, what is that you have in your hand? He said, well, it's it's a rod. And that question is good for all of us in all time. What do you have in your hand? Because God said, I'm going to do something with that thing you have in your hand that you would never imagine was possible, but you got to throw it down. you got to follow me. you got to you got to learn from me. You have to listen to what I say. So what is it that you have in your hand? 
And if you've answered the first one, yes, I will place my life in Christ's hands and I will reassert that reality this week, this year. You get to the second question, it is, okay, so what are the lists of my possessions? And we're going to talk about them. We're going to start next week with the obvious categories, but then a couple weeks after that, we're going to look at some categories that you might not have even thought about before. I'm not publishing the list right now. We're going to just walk through this week by week as we work our way through this truth about where abundance comes from. But God says to us this, when we trust him, when we identify our possessions and place them in his hands, God says the same thing to us that he essentially said to Moses, with my presence and your trust and that which you hold in your hand, a life you would have never imagined is possible. And it is full and it is rich and it is abundant. So we gather together this morning around the Lord's table and we're reminded again of God's generosity to us. As we approach that time and conclude this time, would you let me pray with you? Dear Lord, I thank you for the truth of this and that you say this with utmost love and compassion and mercy um, uh, and for some perhaps gentleness and for others of us perhaps a, 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 a bump on the head that we need to hear. God, we pray that you would make us open to what it is that you want to do in our lives. Not, not because you need it, but because you know that we not only need it, but we long for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.